it out to be like, ooh, this is like the ultimate thing in your faith. And I think that does a real disservice because if if you're not being a missionary in Austin or in Wisconsin or California where you currently live, then the idea of you going some other place and being a missionary doesn't actually make sense. And so, so I think, I guess through just lots of wise people and time, I think just learning that, you know, being a missionary is more about what you do every day, regardless of where you are. So one of the things that we say, like to tell people is like, like, are you being a missionary where you live, where you work and where you play? Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Communitas podcast. We are joined today by Bob and Martha Robbins, and they have such an incredible story um, to share with us about their experience in the church and church planting and then becoming cross-cultural missionaries. So uh, Bob and Martha have been part of the Communitas family for quite some time now, and uh, we'd love to hear their story, uh, both for our internal audience and um, for the external audience that's growing for us. So Welcome. We're glad you guys are here. Thank you. Good to be here. Right on. We're joined also today by Joy Preston, uh, who will be uh, co-interviewing here with me um, during this as well. So, hey, let's just dive right in. I think this podcast may end up being maybe a little bit more on the biographical side because there's plenty to learn from you guys, um, starting out in Texas and then moving to various points on the East Coast and involved in multiple church plants and different church environments, um, becoming a lead pastor at one point, Bob, and then uh, choosing to move overseas to Sao Paulo, Brazil. So love to hear how all of that unfolded, um, you know, even how you came about to sense a calling to Sao Paulo and all that great stuff. But you can start from, you know, pretty early in the beginning and give us a, a journey of what it's been like for you guys. Yeah, I think... Um... In the beginning, when I was a teenager, I had a very influential youth pastor in my life that uh, discipled me and walked daily with me. And I kind of began to sense that God was prompting me to do something specific, but I had no idea what that meant. And his advice was just go ask lots of other people in ministry what they think that it means. Hmm. And there was a couple people that gave me the exact same advice. And at the time, I thought it sounded really bizarre. But the advice was, if you can see yourself being happy doing anything else, then you should do something else. <laughs> and I thought, I'm not sure what if are they telling me don't do it? Are they telling me do it? I'm not really sure. <laughs> um, but uh, then I got involved after shortly after entering college and doing part time youth ministry. And after a while, I discovered that what they were meaning is you need to be sure that what God is calling you to do, because there will be days that the only thing that you have left to rely on is what God called you to do because you want to quit or you hate it or <laughs> your life is horrible. Um, not that all of ministry is bad, but there are seasons or moments where you're like, the only thing I know to do is trust that this is what God has called me to do. And so I'll be faithful. Yeah. Um, so we were involved in student ministry for 
I don't know, 10 years. 10 years and loved it. And I always said that I wanted to be the oldest youth pastor that I knew. Like that, was, <laughs> I felt like that was my specific calling. Um, but I remember in, in a specific meeting with a group of other youth pastors across the state of Texas, we were talking about how do we prepare teenagers to go back to their home church after like a training event and how do they integrate into their home church? Because what they experienced is not going to be what they have in their home church. I didn't hear anything else in the rest of the meeting because that was really frustrating to me that why should my teenagers have to go to their home church and not be able to continue to uh, be challenged or equipped or whatever. And so it became a burden for me of why is this right? Or I, it sounds maybe cheesy, but it I was just like, it's not fair. Why do we have to do that? So I think that was the long process of beginning to say, well, maybe we could just start a church and do with adults what we do with teenagers, which probably isn't necessarily the brightest idea, um, but that's kind of what we decided to do. And uh, I was young and naive and probably arrogant, and, but nobody would really listen to me. Like I wanted to start a church, but I couldn't get anybody to listen. I found someone to listen. It happened to be in Madison, Wisconsin. And so I said, yes, didn't really do much uh, praying, thinking, research, or even consulting with my wife. Should we do this? And we left Texas to go to Wisconsin in some ways is cross-cultural. I mean, Texas versus Wisconsin, there's absolutely some cultural difference that we were unaware of and unprepared for. And long story short, that did not uh, that did not go so well. Um, but it was a learning experience for us and I think prepared us for the future. Um, and from that point on, we've kind of always been involved in like the beginning stages of different kinds of ministry. Um, I think that's, I guess, the entrepreneurial spirit that I have that sometimes terrifies my wife. But uh, I think it's something that I guess maybe uh, a gift that God gives you. So it's just been something that we've been involved in since, I guess, that was 1999. So like sometimes that's painful to think about dates because you have to come to grips with, uh, crap, I'm getting old. Bob, there's some just really profound things in there. I'm, I'm kind of curious on one hand, you know, Communitas has a pretty strong focus on next generation leadership, or at least we're trying to. And your observations, I mean, you can get very specific about a specific church, or you can talk more generally in culture. But what was it about how church functioned or functions that is not amenable to students. It, what's what's going on there as they have experiences and then come back from an experience? What do you think is yeah. going on? I mean, I think now my response is probably a, a little different than it was then. I think then it, I think you adopt this idea that uh, what you do in student ministry is always better than what they do in big church. That yeah. was kind of the, you know, mm -hmm. and I don't think that that's now, I don't think that that's completely accurate. I think some of that is 
uh, youthful arrogance. Um, but I do think like realistically teenagers probably have more time than adults. And so when you talk about, uh, let's be very intentional with discipleship, let's be very intentional with getting people involved in, you know, serving their community. It's a little bit easier sometimes with teenagers. I mean, that for the most part, they don't have careers or jobs or, I mean, some of them do, but so I think you can, it's a little bit easier to get them to invest in their specific calling that God wants them to be involved in. Um, so some of that is just, I think, the nature of the difference between working with teenagers and adults. Hmm. But I do think sometimes growing up in the South part of the U.S., um, church sometimes becomes cultural more than it is spiritual. Yeah. And it's it's something that you do uh, on a Sunday, but it's not something that you take with you to your job or to your neighborhood. It's just something that you do. And I think that was the frustrating part was there was, a, we at least felt or sensed that not all adults, but many adults church was something that they did to uh, be social or to, you know, uh, Hey, I'm in sales. And if I can meet somebody at church, I can sell more or whatever, that kind of thing. And so I think that was probably the piece of frustration was um, sometimes church is about big. I keep saying big church because that's what we said then, you yes. know, the adults. Mm -hmm. But um, sometimes big church is a little bit about control where student ministry is a little bit more free form and can uh, experiment and try things that you can't always do in big church. Um, and so I guess I thought, I thought I could do that with adults as well. And so we started trying to experiment with it, but I think that was the struggle of, you know, how can we get people to actually own their faith and it's more than something social. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's great insight. I mean, I have some of that experience too, and in, in what I guess I would call corporate church, uh, mm. where things get yeah, that's silent. a better word. Well, I mean, but big we uh, we use the big church term too. You know, you had big church for the adults, and then we never called it little church. But I mean, isn't that <laughs> no, kind of what only you're suggesting? Big church. I don't know why, but that's it's what you're high. suggesting. I mean, words have meaning, right? So, so when teens yeah. hear you know big church, it's kind of like, oh, so we're less than. And yeah. even with that, it creates it creates a silo. You know, you kind of have, mm. well, we've got this thing going on over here and we want to get adults into this environment. And you go do your kid thing over there. And then questions come back like, hey, wait a minute, you've got like 30 kids in your youth group that their parents don't attend here. You know, some attend the church down the street or something. And it just becomes this weird dynamic. So, yeah, yeah. I, I hear you. And And then the other challenge in that is, in in big church, oftentimes the the goal is to get new people to the building. So evangelism right. turns into asking someone to come to church with you, and mm -hmm. that rarely I found that rarely works with teens. Teens are looking for an experience with friends, and that is what you can really build discipleship off of. I think. Yeah, I I think. I don't know when this happened for me and and I'm not even convinced that I'm completely accurate on what I'm about to say, but 
I think in U.S. church culture, there's this very distinct division between discipleship and evangelism. Yeah. Even like in a lot of larger church, oh, this person is the discipleship focused pastor and this person is the evangelism focused pastor. Um, and I think, at least from my perspective, I think though those two things are way closer than we make them be sometimes. And so if I can help someone go from not believing that God exists to saying maybe, I think that's both evangelism and discipleship at the same time. Like you're moving people towards God, mm -hmm. um, helping them kind of take that next step, even if they're not technically like they haven't crossed this line of faith. And so I think I understand why we sometimes had separated discipleship and evangelism because it helps maybe some focus, but I think sometimes it also does a disservice because I think those two things uh, maybe are way closer together than we make them out to be. Yeah, that's brilliantly said. I I wholeheartedly agree with that. And and even in the in, in big church, um, it gets more segmented, right? So you have a missions pastor, mm -hmm. you have a discipleship pastor, yeah. you have an adult education yeah. pastor. You know, all of these things kind of become their own silos of leadership, right. but they're all tightly connected. You know, I mean, mission yeah. for sure. Um, but when you have a missions department, that suddenly means you've got one pastor that's working with, you know, those in the field or creating a short-term trip for kids or whatever it might be. And right. it, it really, it really narrows down what the meaning of mission truly is. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us how, um, how you processed and, and got to Sao Paulo. I mean, with do you guys speak Portuguese? I mean, what 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 cultural things, what dynamics kind of led to that? Yeah, so um, we started help. We helped start a church in the St. Louis area. Then we moved to Austin to do the same thing. Um, lots of things kind of came together to start that process. So we started working at an apartment community planning events for this apartment community, and it was filled with young adults from across the world who came to Austin, Texas to work primarily in the tech field, though there was other jobs as well. Um, but they were people from all over the world. And it was we really started falling in love with learning about other people's culture and how their culture impacts what they think, say, and do. And one of the things that happened, and I'll I'll let I'll let her tell the story because she's the one that I think discovered this. But part of our responsibility was to greet uh, new residents when they moved in. So we would actually go to their apartment, knock on their door, give them a welcome bag or whatever, and ask if there's anything that we could do to help them hmm. and talk a little bit about the app that you discovered and how that, when, what you saw in people. Hmm. Well, because it was so diverse and, and we had to go meet these people and, and the whole point was to make them feel welcome. I found this app on my phone that you could learn just, I don't even remember what it was called, but you could only learn, like you could just learn some greetings in all these languages. And so I had like Korean and Russian and uh, Japanese and all these just to learn like, hello, how are you? Just wow. a simple. And when we would knock on these doors, you know, if we thought that they were foreign, we were, we would say, you know, where are you from? 
And if they would say Korea, I knew how to say, hello, how are you? And they just would light up. Like it just made such a difference. Like, wow. Like sometimes it was, it would backfire and they would start speaking (laughs) to me in that language. And I'm like, oh, that's all I know. But um, I mean, they knew English, but if they really came from, you know, their country and that was their second place or third or whatever, it just lit them up. They just started smiling. It just made them feel so welcome. And Mm -hmm. so we, that just kind of even made us more passionate about different languages and different culture and trying to make these people feel welcome and uh, trying to know what that felt like what that meant and how could we 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 didn't we planned an apartment event where you could just bring something from your culture it was like a potluck but they could dress in their native you know clothing they could bring something so it just Austin and you know this apartment job just became like God orchestrating some Paulo that we didn't know would happen (laughs) you know yeah Wow, and that is the so cool. uh, additional piece. The additional piece of that is so we started actually kind of uh, being associate pastors at a church plant with a very, well, I shouldn't say very, maybe compared to us, a very young pastor. Um, and it wasn't intentional, but the church ended up becoming very diverse. Hmm. And one of the things that we would do was each week we would have somebody read a specific scripture in their native language. And I think at the time when we were there, there was like 17 different nationalities represented. And we just really started falling in love with learning from other cultures and what that was like. Um, And one of the things that I, that I'm fairly good at that I have to learn to filter is I'm good at, at creating ideas, but, but for me, sometimes the joy is just creating the idea. So I have to filter because if I don't filter, she feels the pressure of trying to make ideas happen. Mm -hmm. For me, it's just the idea. It doesn't always mean that I think we should do it. Um, But so for, I don't know, several months, I had this idea of what would it look like for us to do something cross-cultural, like move somewhere and but I was terrified to mention it because I didn't necessarily want her to feel the pressure that we needed to do it. Yeah. Um, but we really loved culture and we thought it was fun. And I don't even remember how I got the nerve to ask. But one day I just said, hey, what would it look like if we moved somewhere else into a different culture and try? Wow. That's not what I said. You, he starts it off every time with I have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like one of the scariest <laughs> moments of my life. Right. Yeah. We just we just celebrated 34 years of marriage and and he is the ideation guy and I'm like the planner. You know, how much do we make? When's the paycheck? Da, 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 da. I need to know these details and so it's it's terrifying for me. Uh, and you know, and people have asked, you know, oh, so you knew you were going to be a foreign missionary? Da, da, da. No, it's never ever crossed our minds for neither of until about six, uh, no, eight years ago. Wow. So, yeah, but it, it's always, I have an idea. And then what would it look like to go somewhere cross-cultural? 
And if she freaked out, she at least didn't physically appear to be freaking out. <laughs> and we just continued to talk about it. And like, I think our story is maybe a bit strange or unique in that I think a lot of people have a specific calling to a place or to a people group, but that wasn't, that wasn't what we felt God prompting us to do. We just knew that we wanted to live in a large city that was very diverse. Right. That was the only requirement. So we just started doing research on cities and uh, diversity and that sort of thing. So we didn't have a specific place or people group. We just wanted to live in a large city that was extremely diverse. So long story short, that's how we ended up in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Wow. Wow. Uh, well, I want to commend you, Bob, for learning from your experience of non-communication going from Texas to Wisconsin. <laughs> you recovered well. <laughs> uh, well, I still, no, I still make plenty of mistakes, but I, and I'm a slow learner, but when I learn, I usually get it. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Cool. I wanted to go back to something that you guys were talking about just previously. It's beautiful to hear your story. And I'm curious how the concepts that you were talking about with evangelism and discipleship not really being segregated, um, and even in the idea of a corporate church where, you know, there's different pastors for different lanes of ministry. When you went to Brazil, how did you incorporate all of that into one? Or what did that look like for you to bring those concepts to another culture? One of the things that we quickly learned in Brazil was that, well, there's a huge difference between dealing with international people versus the local people. Mm -hmm. And so when we first came to Brazil, about 50% of the people that we were working with were from around the world and 50% were Brazilians. Um, the economy changed and all the expats, not all, the majority of them ends up leaving after their contract and the companies didn't rehire. Mm. So even now is different than when we first came. But uh, in, Bra in Brazilian culture, they don't like to say no. And they won't, most of the time, they won't tell you no about anything. So Brazil is a great place for a typical mission trip to come because you go on the street and you evangelize and you get huge numbers because no one is going to tell you no. Everyone is going to respond. Do you want to receive Jesus today? Yes. Um, nobody's going to tell you no because they don't want to disappoint you. Um, and so you have to be careful with how you talk about the gospel. And, and it's almost, in a way, more self-discovery, leading people to discover on their own than you telling someone something. Yeah. Because they don't, they won't tell you no. We did learn that maybe does mean no, um, yeah. but they will never say no. And so trying to navigate that. And we we use a, I know somebody probably smart and famous came up with this. So, and but I don't know who it is, so I can't give them credit. But if you've probably seen the the number line where it's negative 10, the positive 10, zero in the middle with the cross. Um, and we try to help people just take the next step. So if they're at a negative five, meaning they have lots of doubts, maybe God is real, but could he love me or be for me? If we can help them move from negative five to negative four, we feel like that's both discipleship and evangelism. Um, and so helping people take the next step is really important. And if we get 
I don't know, greedy or selfish, it's easy to force people, try to force people to move from negative five to positive five. But I don't think that that's as beneficial because then they have to go backwards and relearn some of the stuff that they skipped mm-hmm. because you forced them to uh, say yes to something that they weren't prepared to say yes to. So I'm not sure at this point if I answered your question because I feel mm-hmm. like I just kind of rambled. But <laughs> no, that's no, a, it's really that's a good answer. Uh, and, you know, I think we're in a, a, a liminal space culturally worldwide that does have some commonality. Um, you know, 50 years ago, the, the primary approaches that were used were proclamation based on fear. And it, yeah. it actually, it actually worked for a segment of society. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you saw, you know, mega church movements, boom, and things like that. We're in a space now where, where culture has changed pretty dramatically. I think I mean, to use a big word, I think we're in the midst of an epistemological shift culturally, where people are starting to realize how they know what they know is based on different input um, and different ways of even viewing things. So I love what you say about, um, you know, not using proclamation necessarily, but engaging in relationship because uh, that that does work. So, yeah. Good, good for you guys. What, what was it like? Um, I love what you said earlier, Bob, about you were honest about um, discerning a call, even into just ministry. And you got good counsel um, saying, hey, this is, this is going to be hard. You're going to have to have an anchor here or, you know, you'll just, you'll just quit. Um, in the secular world, you go to a company and you don't like how it's run you, you run from that company and find the next one, right? Um, yeah. Ministry is a little bit different than that. What were some of the big challenges for you? You've already mentioned a couple, but um, going from the United States to Sao Paulo, what what were, what are some things you would um, either inform or warn uh, young people that are considering a move like that? U.S. church culture idolizes this idea of missionary um, and makes it out to be like, oh, this is like the ultimate thing in your faith. Right. And I think that does a real disservice because if if you're not being a missionary in Austin or in Wisconsin or California where you currently live, then the idea of you going some other place and being a missionary doesn't actually make sense. And so, so I think, I guess through just lots of wise people and time, I think just learning that, you know, being a missionary is more about what you do every day, regardless of where you are. So one of the things that we say, like to tell people is like, like, are you, being a missionary where you live, where you work and where you play. So you have your, your neighborhood, whatever that looks like. You have your workplace, whatever that looks like. And everybody, not most people have some kind of hobby. So can, how can you use your hobby as a place for, you know, taking the gospel? And so it, even though we, I think we had a grasp of that in our own culture, I'm not sure we were completely prepared for what that looks like in a different culture. Mm. Um, and we still, even 
eight years later, like we learn stuff frequently about, man, I shouldn't have said that, or I shouldn't have said that in that way, or I should have done it a little bit differently. And so I think just being willing to understand that your own personal culture impacts everything about you, including your faith. It impacts the way you walk down the street and it impacts the clothes that you wear. It impacts the way you think, the way that you respond to questions, the way that it, everything, even your faith. And so trying to figure out what that looks like in a different culture is challenging. And, and I think we were probably honestly unprepared for what that exactly looked like. Um, but I think, I think we learned fairly quickly and, tried to live our life openly. And, you know, if we messed up, apologize for messing up and, Hey, help me learn how to do this better from the people that know the culture. So I don't know if that helps any or not, but that's kind of was our experience. It was, it was, and there's days where it's still hard. Like, it's just like, it's how bad did I mess up today? And what can I learn from what I messed up? Mm I think he he said challenging. And a lot of times I like to tell people this is the most challenging and humbling and rewarding thing we've ever done in our married and ministry life. And Mm. most of those things happen on a daily basis Mm. (laughs) because it's you're going to be challenged, especially with the language. Jeff, you asked if we speak Portuguese. I mean, we're definitely not fluent. We probably sound like toddlers to most people, (laughs) like we don't have the correct conjugation of verbs or anything. But we did take, uh, you know, private lessons for a while and we're beyond survival. We can have meetings with, you know, Sampa people that um, don't speak English. So we do pretty well. We still have to pull out Google, but it's challenging every day. And and I think. Actually, that's what we like about it, not just the challenge, but it's humbling. Sao Paulo has such a diverse um, economic situation, too. We And we work with the very, very poor, and we see that. And Bob also coaches basketball at a school that's very affluent. And so we see the very rich. And so just seeing that, like just everything is so humbling. And I think you guys would agree too. like ministry is that missions is that, Um, but it's going to be rewarding. And sometimes it's rewarding in the lessons you learn. Uh, You know, it's not always a rewarding in a, in a blessing kind of way, but um, definitely challenging. I hear you saying there's value in living an integrated life. You're going to be who you are, where you are, no matter what. And um, and also, again, just not segregating the mission, the ministry, the living, the playing, the hobbies, all of it. Yeah, that's good. What yeah. what advice would you give to people? Um, gosh, so many questions. Uh, thinking about your marriage relationship. I mean, you, you did enter into this after a number of years of marriage and family dynamics, which I think can be helpful. Um, but you know, there, there is a, um, a challenge sometimes, especially in next generation leaders who maybe consider serving overseas and they kind of look at it as, um, an adventure, which, which it is, uh, or, you know, a goal to attain, or, you know, you kind of have 
maybe unrealistic expectations about it. So how how do you protect a marriage in the midst of a significant shift like that? In my case, personally, I think God protected me, at least in the first, even though it doesn't technically count because it wasn't completely cross-cultural, but moving from Texas to Wisconsin was a bit of a cultural shock in a way. Yeah. And, and if I'm being honest, I didn't really consider her feelings all that much mm. because it was something that I wanted to do. And looking back, that was not wise. Um, like it, like I don't, I don't think she would say that she didn't want to go, but we had two very young kids. The furthest we had ever lived away from our family was a two hour drive. Um, we, we didn't know what we were doing. And so I think in some ways it was my confidence or my arrogance saying, Oh, we can do this. And I never stopped to consider what it felt like to her. Mm. And so looking back, if I would have asked better questions of her, I probably, we probably wouldn't have gone. Um, but then now knowing what we know, we might not be where we are today without going. So, I, I mean, I don't want to speak for her, but I think she would say she's glad we went, even though she didn't want to go. But I will say, if she didn't want to go to Brazil, we wouldn't have gone to Brazil. Like it was such a terrifying thing because we came for a visit and the whole time I was like, this is good. This is really good. I could live here. I like, like the, but I never said anything because I didn't want to influence her decision. So I was just like, man, this was real. So we didn't even talk about it. I don't know how, how long we were here, 10 days the first time. And we didn't even talk about it. And then we were on the plane on the way home and we both kind of looked at each other and like, okay, you go first. No, you go first. You go first. <laughs> so maybe you can shed some light on that. Both of those experiences, maybe that would help. Actually, because we came to visit Sempa church before we went to engage and yeah. engage was like mm, eight, true. eight years ago. So I don't even know. I'm sorry, Jeff, what like engage is like now, but right. I mean, mm. we had 30 something years of ministry. So in a way, I'm just being honest. It was kind of like, we don't need to go to this. You know, yep. we've planted churches, blah, 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 thinking it was just this little conference and then these assessments, you know, the tests that you take. But it was so helpful because we took like a cultural test and I think we flunked. Like it was not good. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, you know, and Kevin and them, it, it, um, they do the kind of what red lights and green lights, you know, what yeah. are you seeing? Like, is there some caution here on with this couple? But it was so helpful because couples need that no matter how long they've been married, no matter how long they've been in ministry, it's not the same thing. And these people that put together Engage, they know, you know, things that we don't know. They see these tests. There's, you know, people that are in psychologist, you know, and, and like, it was just very helpful to go through that. And then, like he said, to visit Sao Paulo before uh, making the decision, we asked um, a couple of the leaders here 
if we could stay in homes and they thought we were kind of crazy because their idea in the American you know, U.S. culture is that we would want to be in the Ritz Carlton or something, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, and so they were kind of shocked. But I said, I have to know how they live. Like, I need to see their houses. Like, how do they? Because I had no idea, no idea what to expect, you know, so how do they live? How do they function day to day? What does the kitchen look like? Um, so just doing that and then um, kind of on the same, along those same lines, we actually culture shocked and empty nested at the same time uh, because our, our kids which we still don't know if that was wise or yeah. unwise. But. Well, we're not right. real sure, but but emotionally, <laughs> we really weren't sure. Is this because we're, you know, in a new place, or is this because our kids aren't with us, or who knows? And actually, um, Karen was in Poland at that time. Karen Haynes. I mm -hmm. don't know how you say the last name, but Andy, yeah, and yeah, and I don't know. I think maybe Kevin connected us to her, and she was normally doing like some culture counseling culture things mm -hmm. with uh people in Europe but she was like hey I've never done it with anyone in South America but yeah and it was so helpful like um yeah just so many things that the communitas really helped us with because that walked through feelings and emotions and things that we were going through that we didn't know and she knew, you know, and so just talking to other people who've been through it, taking those assessments, those tests and listening to pe other people's stories and sitting down and making sure as husband and wife, you're on the same page. You need to both want to come, mm -hmm. you know? And um, so, yeah, that's kind of what I would add. Yeah. Thank you for that. I, I can affirm that too. That was our experience uh, for my wife, Christy, and I, um, we started engaging with Communitas later in life after having planted churches and served on church staffs and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it was incredibly helpful. So Engage is our last formal piece of our onboarding process in Communitas. And it's a in-person, multi-day experience um, where lots of observations are made and different things that have taken place up to that point are evaluated and looked at. And um, boy, I'll tell you, it was a really humbling experience for us and incredibly helpful. And it, it helped get Christy and I on the same page. Um, so yeah, thank you for, for mentioning that. That's really great. Uh, Martha, what are some of the cultural differences you've experienced being a woman in ministry in South America? versus maybe North America. Okay. Yeah, I think probably the most challenging and the most frustrating part, especially at the beginning, was obviously the language. Just these, these are my, you know, my church family, these women that I have this desire to, to speak to and pour into and spiritually know their stories and I can't communicate with all of them. So that was definitely um, the most challenging thing. And as far as being at the church, um, I didn't notice a lot of 
cultural differences other than like, you know, just the, they're just so relational, so patient, so loving, so caring. And um, so they were very good with that. Um, You know, they would try to help me with the Portuguese. What Bob mentioned before was um, definitely true. They're people pleasers. They're going to say yes to everything. And um, so just changing like, you know, as you're trying to maybe get helpers in kids ministry or, you know, for hospitality, I just had to be a little, a little cautious and maybe more wise. Um, and, mm. and how I would approach that because they really want to people please, especially the pastors and, you know, mm. the pastor's wife, that that's going to yeah. be a big thing. Um, um, you're always learning and all it's always changing is, and be, I think because we have had so many people from all over the world at Sampa church, not just Brazilians. So that was definitely a struggle because, you know, people come from Nigeria or South Africa or, you know, a Japanese family, like, what do I know it's not going to be the same culture as here I'm learning what the Brazilians do. And so that was, that was difficult just to try to, I think I was just more cautious in um, speaking to um, the, the people and especially like, you know, trying to get helpers. Um, And then also I'm still learning Um, just some people really like encouragement um, mm-hmm. and some people I've found that it it was offensive to some in some cultures uh right. like why are you telling me this you just why are you sending me this you just sent me this once before don't you know it takes time and I was really thrown off and really hurt because I, well I am an encourager but I thought that that was like well received and so right. you're just always learning but um, I say that it's it's certain uncertainty. Yeah. There's there's really nothing that I can take for granted, you know, of knowing for sure. Even with be, being here seven years, I can't think that I know the culture. We yeah. have to always be adapting and learning. I think that would be. Yeah, that's incredibly insightful. You know, one of the one of the first steps we encourage people to to take part in as they are in a new place is to embed and that can take forever it never stops you are right. especially in a culture like sampa i want to hear more about that um how you discovered it and and what that's like for you but um in a place like sao paulo where it it's not as if you need to become an expert on brazilian culture right i mean you're you have to you have to understand the cultural dynamics from Nigeria and Japan and, you know, all over the world, which makes it so interesting. We'll, we'll put a link to a book um, in the show notes uh, called the culture map, which oh, is yeah. a great book, great book that just gives you kind of an understanding from a mm-hmm. high level perspective of um, cultural differences. And, and isn't that crazy? I, I discovered that too, that um, encouragement is not a universal language. And I yes. thought it would be, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, wild. Um, so how did you discover Sampa Church and tell us a little bit more about that? I don't even, I guess 
we had started talking about, uh, the, you know, let's look at the cross-cultural thing. And I came across a Facebook post from Communitas, which I guess at the time was Christian Associates, but and, and they were talking about this group of people in Brazil. They would get together and they would watch like some American pastor DVDs with Portuguese subtitles. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, that's interesting. And it said, and eh, they were looking for somebody to come. I don't remember now exactly what it said, somebody to come help them or whatever. And I thought, oh, well, I'll just send a quick message. So I sent a message and started a conversation. And um, so I think in the beginning, it was from our part, it was purely out of curiosity. From their part, it was out of a little bit of maybe, I don't know, desperation maybe isn't the right word exactly, but they didn't, they didn't know what else to do. I think the, the person who was kind of leading their effort was moving and I think they were getting a little tired of, you know, we got to get these videos and we got to put Portuguese subtitles. And it was just, I think, a little overwhelming at times. And I think they they thought, well, they've said that there's no way we would ever find anybody crazy enough to come here and help us with this. It's not mm. possible. Um, and I guess the answer to that is, oh, yeah, I guess there's at least two crazy people that will come <laughs> help you with that. Um, and we came and visited and just really fell in love with the people and the culture and just kind of the, the desire to try to help people take their next step spiritually. So that, I guess that was kind of what fueled the idea. It's all started from a Facebook post, I think. Wow. Wow. That's, that's incredible. How would you, um, thinking about communion, community, and mission, um, which are kind of the baselines for how we define, you know, what is church? Uh, it can take many, many forms, of course, um, but trying to achieve communion uh, with God, community with each other, and then an outward-looking kind of a focus. How would you encourage, or or even in what direction would you point um, next generation leaders, either within your current environment or anywhere, on on some steps toward that? I think even if you are currently living inside the culture that you like grew up in, I think trying to approach it from the perspective of being a student of culture, um, mm -hmm. because there's always something that you either like you do something, but you don't know why you do it. Or you say something like people ask us all the like, this isn't technically about ministry stuff but people ask us english questions all the time oh well, why do you say this instead of that and i don't know the answer because i i don't know the rules to speaking english really i wasn't a great student i just kind of know how to do it and i think the same thing happens to us culturally like if you if you're even in your inside your own culture there's things that you do or think or say and you have no idea why Mm -hmm. And so being a student of your own culture and other cultures, I think, helps you uh, build a foundation of what that looks like. You know, mm -hmm. how do I how do I have this communion with God and what does it look like or feel like or I guess 
taste like? Like that, I think there's lots of different scenarios there. How do I develop these spiritual relationships with people around me? How do I intentionally live out my faith in every in my everyday life? Like I think asking yourself specific questions or having someone to ask you those questions is really helpful. I think too many times I took things for granted, like because you you just know how to do stuff. It's mm. kind of like riding the bike idea. Like you don't it's if you've never thought about how to teach someone to ride a bike, you don't really know how to teach them because you just do it. Yeah. And so I think trying to I guess may maybe look at your faith and your culture maybe under a microscope and just dissect why do I think this? Why do I say this? Why do I act this way? Why do I go to this place? Why do I do these things? I think it helps you identify why you do what you do. And it also then helps you communicate to other people why it's important for them to pursue this relationship with Jesus. So Mm -hmm. I think culture, I, I don't, I probably will never do it, but I think we've learned a lot of stuff about just culture. Like I always say, oh, I'm going to write a book about culture, but it would be a really short book, but so I went with lots of pic with lots of pictures. But uh, I think understanding culture has such a huge impact on everyday life, your faith, your family, your friends. I, I, I think it's really, really important. Yeah, well, that's really good. I think one of the things I took away from uh, my Engage experience with Communitas was to question all the time what my assumptions are and mm. are they correct? I, I mean, they may yeah. be correct within my specific cultural dynamic or at least most of the time, but that doesn't mean they're universally correct. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a that's a big one. Um, yeah, I really quick story about yeah. my first huge mistake culturally like i'm one of the things when i get uncomfortable is i can i i can or maybe overuse humor to get me out of situations yes um and i i was bringing certain things let's say it like that certain things from the us to brazil in the very beginning when i was coming back and forth yeah. And me and one of my first friends in Brazil, we were selling these items and we were splitting the money, yeah. um, which I guess might be slightly illegal. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure. but <laughs> So maybe I shouldn't have said that. But anyways, I we were standing around in a group of people and I jokingly said to this guy who is still to this day a very good friend. I, it was just a joke. I was like. Oh, hey, you owe me some money. When are you going to get me my money? And it was just a joke. And later that day, he comes to me in private and he asked me, Bob, why did you shame me today? Uh, And I was like, what? I I had no idea at the moment. I didn't even know what he was talking about. Like, what do you mean? I didn't I didn't shame you. And he's like, yeah, you did. You talked about money in front of other people. Why did Mm -hmm. you shame me? And I was like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. That's not my intent. And so that, that was kind of a waking waking up moment for me. Like, I got to be a little more careful with what I say and do because I'm causing consequences that I don't intend because I don't know what I'm doing yet. 
Um, it was a really, that was like a, it, even still to this day, it hurts me a little bit because I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that to him and I did it unintentionally. Yeah. Wow. That's a big, that's a big lesson, big lesson to take away. Uh, as we kind of wrap up the conversation, what are, what are some closing thoughts or encouragements that, that you might give uh, to folks who are discerning a call for them, maybe to serve cross-culturally? Yeah, I think what Martha said is probably true. It's the, what did you say? The most challenging, humbling, humbling and rewarding thing that you could, that you could ever do. Um, but I also think that those words of wisdom from uh, pastors and ministry leaders early on in my uh, spiritual walk rings true as well. Like you, you can't do it for adventure. Mm. You can't do it for personal reasons. You can't do it for your own desire or need for importance because all of those things will be challenged. Yeah. And if you do it for the wrong reasons, you'll quit. Right. Um, and so understanding that God is prompting you to do something specific, I think is very important. And when you understand that, then I think it helps you with all kinds of adversity that otherwise you would quit. Yeah. Wow. That is, that is excellent. So profound. And guys, I just want to thank you for one, taking the time to share just part of your story with us. Um, and also bringing some authenticity and truth to the conversation, uh, especially for those that are considering um, taking a move like you did. So um, thank you to you guys, Bob and Martha Robbins. We appreciate you and your years of service and um, the fruit that is being produced. Um, in, in what time, I often call it, you know, we're, we're not, we're not playing a short game. Uh, the kingdom isn't about short game and it, games and, and, and short successes, although those can happen, but it's really about, you know, a, a long journey in the same direction. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, you guys for being a part of this. And thank if people you. wanted to, You're if welcome. they wanted to get a hold of you or, or, or seek you out, is there a way that, that people could do that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think on Instagram, we found to be a huge tool for us. Uh, my personal Instagram is Sampa underscore Bob. And then uh, Instagram for the church is just Sampa church. And uh, I think that was, that would probably be the best or the primary way for us. Yeah. They could, or they could reach out through our communitas page. I think, um, you know, our emails are on there. We'd be happy to, to, you know, email WhatsApp talk to somebody we we'd love to we like questions and so you know everybody's experiences are different but you can't listen to too many people good yeah that's a good word and we'll put those contact links in the show notes as well so again cool. um, right. guys thanks so much really appreciate it and you have been listening to a, another episode of the communitas podcast um we are available on all the major podcast platforms, so please do seek us out. And if you've been listening to this and enjoyed it, uh, leave us a, a rating and a review, and please be able to, uh, or please share it with your friends and family so that we can start spreading more and more of the word. Um, blessings on you guys. Thanks so much. And we will see you all soon on the next Communitas podcast. Bye.